Well, our main passage for study this evening, as I mentioned, is Proverbs 20, sorry, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27, and within that, particularly verse 23. Our theme this evening is simply guard your heart, guard your heart. We can hardly go a day in our lives without hearing the word heart mentioned. It's a word that our culture uses relatively frequently. It appears in the songs that we listen to, whether you like country music, rock music, pop music, R&B, whatever your preference is. I imagine that your favorite artists have written songs with the word heart in the title. Some of us are old enough to remember, for example, back in 1997, uh, Celine Dion's theme song for, for Titanic, which just seemed to get played everywhere all the time for about a year and a half. And what was it called? My Heart Will Go On. One of the strongest statements of belief in a culture that really doesn't attach itself to religious belief very much anymore, but one of the strongest statements of belief in our culture now, of course, is follow your heart. And when people say that, it tends to mean just, just be yourself. Uh, you know, speak your truth, uh, do what you like, follow your heart. Or maybe people associate the word heart with romance. Uh, Valentine's Day was just last week. Um, if you had to pick one symbol that summed up Valentine's Day, maybe it would be the love heart that was appearing all over the place for a few days last week. Those are maybe the kinds of things that the world thinks of when it talks about the heart but if we're Christians this evening who, who take God's word seriously, we, we don't just go along with what the world might happen to say about something. We want to know what the Bible says on any given subject. So what does the Bible say about the heart? We've arrived this evening at the seventh appeal from a father to his son in Proverbs. And as I say, our key verse is verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the wellsprings of life. I quite like the NIV translation here, actually. Uh, it maybe gets to the sense of the word uh, a little bit more even. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. The idea of guarding does come out in the, in the King James and in the ESV with the use of the word vigilance in the ESV. But, but guard is perhaps stronger than keep. Uh, and it's a good word to use. It gets to the sense of the word of keeping guard, of, of watching over, of supervising someone or something. That's what the father is urging his son to do here. And we need to appreciate as we begin that this, this command, and that's what it is, it's a command, is emphasizing to us that true wisdom, which we've been thinking about in Proverbs, true godliness and love for the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it is not about mere externals. It's not just about doing the right things on the outside for everyone else to see, as we were just thinking uh, in the reading from Mark. It's not about knowing all the right answers in a Bible quiz or being able to recite huge chunks of Scripture. It's not just about being in a worship service or, 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 or being seen to avoid certain sins. It's about our whole person, the real person who we are on the inside. In other words, to really get wisdom, we need to get it into our hearts, and then we need to guard our hearts. And so we want to consider what that involves this evening. I want to ask three questions, 
uh, three broad main questions this evening. Uh, what is the heart? Uh, why do we need to guard the heart? And then how do we, get, do we guard the heart? And as I say, and as I've already mentioned, each of these could be a sermon in themselves, uh, but we'll try to take a sort of a broad brush approach this evening in answering these questions from Proverbs and from elsewhere in Scripture. So first of all, what is the heart? Obviously, if we're going to guard the heart, we need to know exactly what we're dealing with. So, so what is it according to the Bible? Well, the word heart appears close to 600 times in the Old Testament and another 156 in the New Testament, as well as other words that are really referring to the same thing. So that's a huge number of occurrences of this word. But remarkably, when, when you see the word heart anywhere in your Bible, it's barely ever talking about the physical organ in our bodies, pumping blood around our bodies. It's almost always talking about this, this, the, this spiritual center of who we are. John Flavel, in that address that I mentioned earlier, Keeping the Heart, he says that the Bible is talking about the human soul when it uses the word heart. So it's another word for soul. He says what the heart is to the physical body, what the physical heart is to the body, the soul is to man. So your heart is vital to your body, your physical body. And he says equally the soul, the heart as the Bible describes it, is vital. It is, it is the real us. It is the, the center of all that goes on in our lives. Your soul is that invisible, immaterial part of you, but, but the real you. Whatever state your soul is in governs and dictates and guides what kind of person you are, what kind of words you say, what kind of things you think, what kind of things you do. Other definitions of the heart include words to the effect that it is the center, the seat, the sum of who we are. So what you really want, what you really believe, how you make your decisions, it is all bound up in the Bible's language of the heart. The Lord Jesus helps us to understand something of this when he says in Luke chapter 6 verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And you can see the similarity there in what the words that Jesus used with the words here in Proverbs 4.23. This idea of the overflow of the heart, that what is in the heart will inevitably come pouring out through our mouths or through our actions or in our thoughts. The Reverend Peel, in preaching and teaching on the heart, he says that broadly the heart uh, encompasses three things. This is how theologians have classically summed it up, he says. It encompasses the mind, the affections, and the will. The mind, the affections, and the will. Uh, and, and all of these things encompass uh, what the Bible describes as the heart. So there's the mind, first of all. Uh, and Flavel says the mind is the doorway to our hearts. We hear something. We receive news from a loved one. We hear our teacher saying something in school tomorrow morning. We hear the preacher saying something from the pulpit. And the first place it goes is our mind. We think about it. Our brain processes the information and decides what to do with it. 
And the Bible says, friends, that that also goes on in our heart, in our soul. Reverend Peel says that amongst the descriptions that the Bible gives to this in Scripture, the Scripture says the heart conceals and discerns. The Scripture says that the heart meditates, plans, plots, and ponders. These are all activities of our mind. They're activities of our heart, the Bible says. This includes our conscience, how we decide what is right and what is wrong. The heart is where we chew things over, if you like. It's where, it's where we decide what we think about someone or something, whether or not we believe someone or something, how credible a piece of news is, how important or unimportant a piece of news is. The doorway to our heart is our mind. And then the heart also overlaps with the affections. The affections. And this is more than just our feelings. It's more than those Valentine's Day love hearts that are here today uh, and gone tomorrow. Um, it's, it's not just that quick rush of romance that may or may not sweep over us if the mood is right. No, this is our, our deepest longings, embedded longings in our hearts. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning. This is what we truly love, not just in a romantic sense, but in a practical, self-sacrificing sense. Uh, some of you maybe heard the coverage on, uh, I think it was Radio Ulster last week, about the, the transplant service in Northern Ireland and the great success and prog progress there has been uh, in transplants in the last number of years. And there was a story about a mother donating her kidney to her daughter who had some uh, terrible debilitating condition. Uh, I can't remember if it was life-threatening or not, but this was a relatively young woman, a young mother, and her mother was able to donate a kidney to her. And the way her mother talked about doing that, the way she had come to the decision, she didn't even have to think twice. Of course she wanted to do whatever she possibly could to help her daughter. That's, that's the affections, not just some sort of wishy-washy love. That's real practical, self-sacrificing love. The affections are what make our hearts ache. It's what make our hearts bitter. It's what make our hearts bitter at times. It's what makes our hearts giddy with excitement or full of anger or lust. It's what at times could be strong enough to put us off our food or to keep us working all night. And as well as the mind and the affections, there's the will which leads to our actions, our choices, our decisions, our actions. Psalmist says in Psalm 57, verse 7, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give you praise. Psalmist is saying there, I, I decided in my heart, I was resolved in my heart, I will praise God. And so his actions are the result of the, the attitude of his heart. And a more negative example of that, 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, 2 Chronicles 12, 14, we're told that King Rehoboam, quote, did what was evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So here's a man who's remembered for the things that he did, but the writer says the things that he did are explained by the state of his heart. And of course, it's particularly sad to read that about King Rehoboam, because who was Rehoboam's father? Solomon. And so he did not listen to the advice that he got from his father here in Proverbs. He decided in his heart not to seek the Lord. 
So the heart, friends, includes our minds, our affections, and our will. It's the human soul. It's the invisible you, but the real you and the real me, which inevitably will become visible. I thought this was a really striking picture that the Reverend Peel used. He said, there is a hidden universe inside you that no one knows about. It's not what we do that determines who we are. It's the heart that determines who we are and what we are. So the heart explains why we say certain words, good or bad. The heart is the reason why we act a certain way towards that certain person. The heart is the reason we feel the way we do in times of excitement or joy, happiness or sadness, anxiety or anger. And if you're a Christian here this evening or you've recently become a Christian or want to become a Christian, you need to realize that it all begins in your heart. According to the Bible, a Christian is someone who has a new heart with new desires, whose mind and affections and will have been drastically transformed by the work of God the Holy Spirit. God says in Ezekiel 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you see, there, yes, there are things that God wants us to do and maybe things that he wants us to stop doing. But it's not just a case of going and doing those or not doing those things. It's a case of where our hearts are before God. Heart surgery is needed before we can call ourselves children of God. And of course, surgery is not something you can do on yourself. At least you'd be very ill-advised to try it. It's impossible to do surgery on yourself. This is something that God must do for us and in us. When we hear his word proclaimed, when the Holy Spirit births, New life in us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That just means you need a new heart. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that new heart to change our mind and our will and our affections. So briefly, that's what the heart is. Let's think secondly then about why do we need to guard the heart? Why do we need to guard the heart? As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the language in Proverbs 4.23 is very strong. Keep the heart with all vigilance. And the wording there is the same language used elsewhere in the Bible to describe being kept in prison, being guarded like Joseph was uh, in, in Egypt so that no one gets out and no one gets into the cell. So really the first and overarching reason why we need to guard the heart is because God has commanded us to do it. He says, keep it the way you would keep a, a high-value prisoner. And of course, God's commands are to be obeyed. And yet God graciously also gives us reasons why we are to guard our hearts. And the first reason is simply because our hearts are unhealthy. Our hearts are unhealthy. All of us have been born with a spiritual heart condition. It's described for us very powerfully in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. Some of your translations there will have the heart is wicked above all things. Our hearts are not healthy. 
Some of you have had perhaps the experience of being in the GP surgery or in a hospital and uh, a heart monitor was hooked up to you and a qualified medical examiner came to a conclusion about the health of your heart. Well, in Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10, God is the physician and he is more than qualified to make a decision about the state of our hearts and he says they are desperately sick. Now that's the human heart by nature. That's how the human heart begins existence. And the good news, as I've already mentioned, is that God can give us a new heart. And if you're a Christian here this evening, he has given you a new heart. Again, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus about being born again. That's happened if you're a believer. Spiritually, you are a new person. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, Paul says. Now you've been made alive in Jesus Christ. That means you have a new heart. But friends, even if that is the case, the Bible is very clear that the presence of sin remains in our hearts. The Apostle Paul calls this the flesh, the flesh. And when you become a Christian, a daily battle ensues between that new heart and the flesh, between the new you and the old man, as Paul describes it. And there is this warfare taking place in our hearts. That's the second reason why we need to guard our hearts, because our hearts are under attack. Not only are they unhealthy, but they are under attack. Look, listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He could easily have said there in my heart. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He talks here about sin dwelling in his members. It means dwelling in the deepest parts of who he is. His heart. And that's the same for all of us as believers. Every day there is a battle going on. Paul says elsewhere in that same chapter, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's the warfare in our hearts. And it's so difficult because our hearts are deep and dark and there are many nooks and crannies in them where sin just lurks and then pops out again. Right now there is as we're all aware, a war going on in the Middle East between the Israeli army and Hamas, a terrorist organization in Gaza. And what has made the fight so challenging for the Israelis is that Hamas has created over the years a huge underground network of tunnels underneath some of the major towns and cities of Gaza. The Hamas fighters know those tunnels like the back of their hands. The Israeli soldiers don't. And so one minute an enemy pops up on a street corner, the next minute he's gone. Or maybe an Israeli soldier thinks that he has an enemy cornered, he's chased him into a house, he has nowhere to go, goes into the house and there's no sign of him anywhere. Because they know how to use the tunnels and the trap doors. And similarly, friends, one writer says that our hearts are like a complicated maze of tunnels. We fight off sin, we think it's gone, only for it to, to reappear somewhere else. Maybe you've had the experience as a Christian of 
of really doing battle with some particular sin. You've prayed about it every day. You've, you've maybe said to a close Christian friend or a family member, please pray about this for me. Uh, please keep me in check about this. And, and you feel like after a long time you've been gaining mastery over it. Whether it's anger or greed or pride, whatever it might be. And then one day to your dismay, completely to your complete surprise, it pops up again. Our hearts are under attack. They're under attack from the sin that lurks inside them. They're under attack from the enemies outside them. The world and the devil, which we don't even have time to go into tonight, but I'd refer you back to our study in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and Jesus' temptations with the devil, if you want to think more about that aspect of it. The, question, the, the point is, friends, we need to guard our hearts from the enemy within and from the enemies without. And we need to be ruthless in rooting out the sins we find inside our hearts. And we need to be diligent in barring the gates of our hearts to stop the temptations that we face coming in and taking root. So why do we need to guard our hearts? Because our hearts are unhealthy, because our hearts are under attack. And thirdly, and this brings us back more closely to our text in Proverbs, because our hearts set the direction of our whole lives. Our hearts set the direction of our whole lives. If you look at your Bibles there, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27, what's interesting about this passage is that the whole body essentially is mentioned from tip to toe. Not every single part of it, but the most important parts in a sense. One commentator describes verses 20 to 27 as the anatomy of the disciple. If you look at verse 20, for example, My son, be attentive to my words. Notice, incline your ear to my sayings. So let God's word be in your ears. Verse 22, They are healing to all their flesh. The whole body is restored and refreshed. By wisdom, he says. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and devious talk. There's the mouth of the disciple. He's to guard against foolish and hateful and evil words coming out of his mouth. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Verse 27, Turn your foot away from evil. Of course, right in, the, right in the heart of the passage, right in the center of the passage, is the heart which governs and guides all these other parts. This is the Bible's equivalent, if you like, of heads, heads shoulders, knees, and toes. And the heart is right in the center of it all. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the wellsprings of life. Our hearts set the direction of our whole life. There's a particularly close connection in the Bible between the heart and the mouth, our words. Notice that immediately after describing the heart in verse 23, the first body part mentioned after that is the mouth. Verse 24, put away from you all crooked speech. I wonder if you ever had the experience of somewhat embarrassed and somewhat sheepishly saying, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. We only said it, we only did it because it was in our heart first. 
Again, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we want to get the rest of our lives right, if we want to be going in the right direction spiritually and even physically sometimes, it begins in our hearts. God wants our hearts. That's the last reason I'll mention, and maybe the greatest reason why we ought to guard our hearts, friends, because God wants them. Parents, it's not that we need our children to do anything for us. It's nice if they do some things for us, perhaps sometimes, but we don't need them to do most things for us, thankfully, if we have our health and our faculties. We want their hearts. We want their company and their affection and their love and their trust. We don't need things from them. We, we want them. And it's the same with God. He, he wants us. He wants our hearts, not just cold external formalities on the Lord's day or at other times. Not doing things to be seen doing them. He wants our hearts. Isaiah 29 verse 13, God says, This people honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. There's no point saying all the things you're saying, God says. There's no point singing the things you're singing. There's no point offering the things you're offering. Your heart's not in it. So, I, I, so it, it, it's, no, it's no value to me. And so we should guard our hearts, friends, knowing their sinful tendencies, knowing that it sets the direction of our whole lives, and knowing that God sees it, and that God wants our hearts, the real us, the whole us. So we've thought about what the heart is. We've thought about why we need to guard the heart. And thirdly and finally, we think about how do we guard the heart? How do we guard it? And the first thing to say is that we need to search our hearts. You imagine a team of security guards keeping watch over a prisoner, maybe in some fortress. Even if it's a completely quiet night, there's no sign of anybody breaking in, what do the guards do? They patrol. And they shine torches. And they patrol the nooks and crannies of the building to make sure that there's nobody uh, getting, forcing their way through. And so they regularly patrol and see what state the building is in and if everything is secure. And in a spiritual sense, friends, we are to do the same. Psalm 139, verse 23, our call to worship this evening. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. What's the psalmist saying there? He's saying, show me my own heart. You know it, so show it to me by the power of your Holy Spirit. As I read your word, as I pray, as I get counsel from Christians that I trust, show me the state of my heart. And so, friends, we need to periodically make honest assessments of our hearts. Some of you perhaps go through performance reviews in work. Well, we need to go through a heart review in our Christian lives regularly. And this can get very practical. John Flavel says, Some people have lived 40 or 50 years and have scarcely spent a single hour of engagement with their own heart. What he's saying is people have lived a lifetime and, and not really considered what state their own heart is in. Perhaps he's suggesting that we need to sit down with a notebook and pen, maybe with our Bible, and think about the spiritual progress of our lives in the last three, four, five years. Have we ever asked our spouse or a trusted Christian friend 
Can you tell me honestly and graciously but truthfully, do you see signs of grace? Do you see signs of fruit? Do you see lingering sin? We thought earlier about how the heart includes the mind, the will, and the affections. And so perhaps we need to ask ourselves some searching, perhaps some uncomfortable questions for each of those areas. In regard to your mind, for instance, do you often think about spiritual things? Do you think about the person and work of Jesus Christ? Not just during a sermon but, or during a quiet time, but, but any time, in your free time. And just in case you, get, you think the minister's getting off on that because we spend most of our weeks studying the Bible and thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one old writer says that uh, if that's the only time that ministers spend thinking about it, if it's the time that we, ha- if we only think about these things when we have to think about them, well, that's a sign of spiritual ill health. And so the minister has to ask himself these questions as well. Are there times in your day or your week when you purposefully try to avoid noise, noise of your phone, your tablet, your television, And just allow your mind to think about Scripture, about Christ, about His goodness, His grace, His glory, His promises. Sinclair Ferguson once speculated, could the average Christian go into a room with no resources at all, no Bible, no phone, nobody else, and sit for more than five minutes and think about Jesus Christ? Could we fill five minutes thinking about Jesus, or would we run out of things to think about. Do you ever think about heaven? And not just what age will we look like when we're there or what food are we going to eat, but about seeing Jesus, about the glory of heaven. What do you think about when you're not focused on a specific task, when no one and nothing in particular is demanding your attention? That's the mind. What about our affections, our our feelings, our longings, our goals, our desires? What kind of personality do you have? Do you tend to be happy or sad, optimistic or pessimistic? Do Do you tend to assume the worst or do you tend to hope for the best? And I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. I'm saying we just need to know which we're most likely to be because then we'll be better at searching our hearts. Do you look forward to worshiping God each week? Do you take steps to prepare for it? Maybe you read the next passage of Genesis or Proverbs on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Jot down some questions or thoughts and then see if, they're, if those thoughts or questions are addressed in the sermon. And if they're not, put your minister on the spot and get some answers. Do you look forward to singing the Psalms? Or is worship and singing and hearing sermons just something you do because everyone expects you to do it? What's most likely to make you happy? What's most likely to make you angry? Complete the sentence, I'd be much happier if... I'd feel much more fulfilled if... Are we thankful people? When's the last time you thank God for your children or boys and girls 
When did you last thank him for your parents? Your home? Your phone? Your car? Your bank balance? You didn't, you didn't give yourself those things. God has provided those things for you. Or do we just spend more time wishing those people or those things were all different? What about our will, our actions? Do we pray? Do we lie? Do we worry? Do we cheat? Do you serve the body of Christ? Do you give generously to the body of Christ? Are there things that have been on your conscience that you should do, but you haven't done them? Are there things that have been on your conscience that you shouldn't do, but you've been doing them? These are not comfortable questions. But scripture says, search me, O God. It says, keep the heart with all vigilance. And I want to say, some of you might have a very tender conscience. And sometimes preachers say things, and and the very last person that they think needed to feel convicted about it comes and tells them they're convicted about it. I certainly don't want to make you feel guilty about it. something you don't need to feel guilty about. And I also need to emphasize that as we look at our hearts, we also need to look to Christ. Robert Murray McShane, wonderful pastor in Scotland in the 1800s, he said, for every one look you take inside yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. And so this is not just about do better, try harder, but if we want to grow in grace, if we want to mature in our faith, we must keep, we must guard vigilantly the heart. We must make assessments of the heart. How do we guard the heart? We, we search our hearts. We make those assessments. Two, two last things to mention far more briefly. We, go, we guard the heart by confessing the sins of the heart. Confessing the sins of the heart. We've talked about what true repentance is in recent weeks. Turning from the things that lead us into sin. Walking in a different direction. That's the language that Proverbs uses even here. Proverbs 4.26 Ponder the path of your feet. Verse 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So notice that language, turning. Making sure we don't go into the areas where we've maybe fallen into sin in the past. Making sure we don't let the things into our hearts that have taken residence in the past. And if there are things to confess, if if the assessment brings up things that need dealt with, we deal with them, we confess them, we repent of them. Repentance is not just how the Christian life begins. Repentance is the Christian life, day by day. So we assess or search our hearts, we confess the sins of our hearts, and finally, we guard our hearts by fueling the heart. By fueling the heart. If you look back at Proverbs 4, verse 20, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Pay attention to the word of God. Pay attention to the wisdom of God. It's like the light that we shine as the security guards make their way around the building. They shine the light to deter any intruders, to scare them off. And we're to shine the light of God's wisdom into our hearts. Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 7, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Knowing God, knowing his word, fueling our hearts with his word, he'll guard us and he'll give us peace. We need to know our hearts, we need to guard our hearts. That 
might or perhaps should involve serious searching assessments from time to time. But what our hearts need more than anything else is to be filled with knowledge and the understanding and the enjoyment of Jesus Christ as we find him in his words. Again, McShane says, for every one look, you take it yourself. Take ten looks at him. So how's your heart this evening? Is it still desperately, is it still in that desperately sick condition in which you were born? Have you never yet had Christ come in and undergo that spiritual heart surgery? Ask him to do that this evening if he never has before. Or have you received a new heart on which, sit, on which the Lord Jesus Christ sits as Lord and King? Do you fill your heart with his wisdom? Do you direct your heart in his ways? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Amen.